Chapter Twenty Four of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Touch of the World. Beyond a dismayed exclamation at first, when she read of her daughter's name as being spoken in the midnight streets of Chicago, Mrs. Powers, with a glance toward the figure by the window, read in rapid silence through the closely written sheets. To describe the various sensations which thrilled her as she read would be a difficult thing. Surprise, dismay, disapproval, indignation, relief, all these blended. Yet I hope you will not misjudge her when I tell you that relief was the strongest feeling, that she dropped the last sheet, and with clasped hands murmured, Thank God! Not aloud, she would not have had the girl by the window hear her for the world. She understood the human heart well enough to know that the girl could neither say it nor sympathize with it, not yet. She went swiftly over the story, gathering it into a few seconds of time, as the mind can do. Mildred, her one sheltered and treasured blossom, sent out from her for the first time to the perils of boarding-school life, sent out, guarded and shielded on every side, trusted, as the mother exultingly felt few mothers could trust their daughters. She had proved worthy of that trust. The mother distinctly remembered that first letter of petition. Mama, they want me to write for your permission to dance with them at the Friday socials. Madame Ferrar says you need have no fears of my meeting any whom you would not invite to your own parlors. She is very particular. They have only the square dances. Madame Ferrar does not approve of any others, of course, and only one or two sets are allowed in an evening. She says to dance for hours is as silly as it is to eat for hours. I don't care much about it, Mamma, only of course it is a little embarrassing to be quite alone. I am the only one here who does not dance. But then, of course, dear Mamma, that is of no consequence at all, if you would rather not. The mother remembered the sweet wording of the letter, what satisfaction it had been to her heart to feel that all these expressions were true. She remembered just how she had studied over the question, taken counsel over it. She could see now the tap of her pastor's kid glove against his one-gloved hand as he expressed his opinion. "'We must not draw the reins too closely, my dear Mrs. Powers, else there may be danger of a rebound.' Not that you have occasion to fear that, of course, in Mildred's case, he had hastened to add, because she remembered she had drawn herself up, and assured him that she had no fear of her daughter, that her happiness really was not dependent on such trivialities. But then, he had added, I really think harm is often done in these ways. The fact is, young people will be young people, and it is right that they should be and I should say that Madame Farrar's judgment was to be depended upon. I do not believe in indiscriminate dancing, of course, yet properly managed, it is a graceful and healthful amusement. We must not separate ourselves too entirely from the well-intentioned, well-behaved world, you know, lest we lose all influence over it. After her pastor left her, Mrs. Powers remembered that she felt in doubt as to whether he had given her any advice after all. He seemed to have uttered a few commonplaces with which she was quite familiar. Still, he had influenced her. She felt, after talking with him, less inclined to hold Mildred aloof from the amusements which seemed to belong to youth. Not satisfied, but inclined to yield. 
for the hundredth time since her widowhood, she said with a deep sigh, If I only knew what her father would say. What had he said when alive? Why, nothing tangible or sufficiently definite for her to fall back upon now. He had shaken his head over many gatherings to which Mildred had been invited. I don't like it, he had said. She is but a child. She is better off with her mother. Make her happy without these things. And the mother had done so, and held her child to the society of her parents and their choice friends, and made her happy with them and questions which perhaps ought to have been definitely settled were simply pushed into the vague future. Now the father was gone, and Mildred was no longer a child, and was away from home and mingling with others of her age exclusively. Must she not do in a degree as they did, or be uncomfortable? The conclusion was that the mother wrote her darling. You know, daughter, that mother does not approve of much dancing, and the round dances, I think, are positively degrading. I know you will never be tempted by them. I suppose the sort of dancing which Madame Ferrar admits is hardly more than a promenade in which one keeps step to music. I will leave the matter to your judgment, daughter. I am so glad to remember that I have a daughter to trust. And Mildred had written her joyous letters after that about the Friday socials. It was pleasanter to join the dancers than it had been to stand in a corner and look on. They had delightful talks, too, while dancing. She was introduced last evening to a friend of Madame Ferrar's son. He came occasionally to the socials. He asked an introduction to her because she was such a graceful dancer. "'Think of that, Mama," the happy girl had written, "'when I never went to dancing school in my life. I told him so, and he said it was natural for flowers to have sweet odors and for birds to sing.' I might have told him of many a flower which has no odor, and that there are nice little gray birds who do not sing at all, but I didn't. However, I did tell him that I hoped my friends would have a better reason for choosing me than that I was a good dancer. He is very pleasant, Mamma, but a little too fond of dancing for me to admire him much. His name is Airedale, Leonard Airedale. Euphonious, isn't it? After that, the euphonious name had crept into almost every letter. Curiously, too, it was nearly always connected with dancing. Mr. Airedale and she led the set. Mr. Airedale and she danced both sets together, and begged Madame Ferrar for a third, but she would not grant it. And then had come a sentence which Mrs. Powers did not like. Mama, I begin to understand what a fascination this amusement can become to some people. There is something very delightful in rhythmical movements, with the room full of sweet sound, and bright with flowers, and rich with perfume. I am always sorry when the hour is over. Still, I think it makes a great difference with whom one dances. Mamma, do you mind that I always dance with Mr. Airedale, and with no one else? I don't enjoy it with others, and he doesn't. He is a very fine dancer. Mamma, he says that some of the round dances are not objectionable and that he is sure I would enjoy them very much. With wide-open, nervous eyes had the mother read this letter. Who and what was Mr. Airedale? Why had she not taken alarm before? She had thought of him as one of the boys, and considered him as good as any for her daughter to walk around with in the musical promenade. She wrote some earnest words of warning and advice. Alas, too late! 
not too late for obedience, but for peace. The fair daughter, who had gone away a child, confessed that in this dancer she had found a friend. She liked to be with him, liked to hear his talk, liked everything about him, would be willing to dance round dances or no dances at all at his bidding. He was not a boy, he was seven years older than she, and a business man, a confidential clerk in a Chicago house. He was here on some business for the firm, and tarrying longer than he had meant. On her account he confessed. Then did Mrs. Powers make a hasty journey to the renowned school where she had sheltered her daughter from the dangers of this wicked world. She saw and heard the handsome young man whom her daughter's dancing had won. The wise mother did not feel fascinated by him as the daughter had done. She did not trust him. Close inquiry brought to light the fact that his habits were none of the best, that he sometimes left the school socials at the discreet hour of ten, and spent the time until long after midnight in some fashionable saloon. No breath of this had Mildred known. The startled Madame Farrar confessed that she had not such an idea, that her son considered the young man unexceptionable, else he would not have been invited to the socials and the troubled mother did not like to tell her that there were people who did not consider the son himself unexceptionable. She told her sad discoveries to Mildred, who in turn told them frankly to Leonard Airedale. Alas, for the watchful mother! She had let a stranger creep into her place in her daughter's heart. Leonard Airedale was partly penitent and partly indignant. A little of the story was true, and a great deal of it was false. He had been tempted two or three times to drink more wine than was good for him. He admitted that he was sorely tempted in this way. But he pleaded and promised, if she would be his friend, would stand by him and believe in him, he would reform his life in every possible way, so that the very angels could not find a flaw. She had it in her power to mould him at her will. He had discovered that life would be a desert without her, and a garden of Eden in her presence you have heard all that sort of thing it may be you are old enough to smile over it and wise enough to take it for what it is worth but mildred was young and ignorant and had been away from her mother and had been caught unawares in the meshes of this fascinating world still she was a true pure girl in that she came directly to that mother with the story and the plea she believed in leonard airedale she believed that she held his interests in her power she was more than ready to sacrifice herself. Not so her mother. She had heard before about molding tempted lives. She believed in one who could do it, and that one neither her daughter nor her daughter's friend had sought. There was more to reform, she believed, than the young man had admitted. Had he been entirely frank with mother and daughter, it would actually have been better for his interests. As it was, the mother was as firm as adamant the young man might reform, she would be glad if he would, but it must not be because her daughter held out hopes to him which she earnestly hoped would never be realized. The first step toward right-doing would be to return to the business in Chicago which he had so long neglected. Let him go to his work and prove himself a man if he would, but not a letter or a line must pass between the two for at least a year. She would have no break in the silence, she would not allow a message through a third party from the one to the other. A year was a very short time to the mother. 
I suppose it was an eternity to Mildred, poor thing. Leonard Airedale thought the mother hard and cruel. He did not dare say so in words to her loyal daughter, almost a pity that he did not, but he hovered about the idea until it left its impress. Mildred would not have owned to another that her mother could do other than right, but she told herself that, Mama had forgotten that she was once young. Mr. Airedale went away, and the mother went back home, and life went on. The next thing that poor Mildred did was to grow more gay and frivolous than she had ever been, to mingle in all that was of the world with a zest that she had not shown before. She was trying, poor creature, to find happiness in the ways which had lately seemed so pleasant to her. It was about this time that her intimacy with Fanny Copeland deepened. Fanny admired and missed the handsome Chicago gentleman, and openly lamented the loss to their circle in his absence. Mildred liked her for appreciating him, and drew nearer to her, and the mother at home cried over the changed tone in her darling's letters, and listened to her pastor on the Sabbath with a sore heart as he delivered his eloquent sentences if only he had cautioned her to make every effort to keep her darling unspotted from the world, the issue might have been different. Yet I am glad to tell you that this Christian mother did not lay all the blame on her pastor, nor on her other worldly-wise friends. She remembered that she had an unerring guide, and had she lived close enough to him to hear his voice reminding her to walk apart, as one who belonged to a peculiar people, she could have held her daughter away from much that had injured. Well, the days passed, and one day while the mother was praying, there came to Mildred an experience such as she had known nothing about before. It was just a week or two before the close of the summer term, and she was sad at the thought of going away from associations which were fraught with tender memories. She wandered about a great deal, taking last walks and deepening old associations. She wandered one afternoon into the church, whither she had once gone with Leonard Airedale. It was a weekday, but the church was open and the organ was playing. She remembered the seat in which they two had sat, she and Leonard. She would slip in and take the same seat again if she could. It might be a marriage ceremony, or it might be a funeral, she did not care. There was no doorkeeper, it was an open service. So she slipped in. It was a Bible meeting. She had never been to such an one before. She had declined, but the evening before, an invitation to attend this. How did it come about that the words spoken there should be just the ones suited to reach the heart of this young, troubled soul who thought her burden heavy? God knows. There was a mother at home praying for her one charge. We shall probably never know on this side how far the prayers of the mothers at home reach. The troubled soul of Mildred Powers found rest that day. When she came out of the church an hour afterward, she did not understand it. She knew that the weight of pain was gone, but she supposed it would return again. She knew that she had felt a sudden conviction that the Saviour who made the human heart was the one on whom to depend now. She knew that she resolved then and there to turn to Him and follow His leading, but she did not understand what a tremendous difference this would make in all her after life. The weight never returned, not as it had rested before. Not even on this sad afternoon, when she stood and looked out blindly at nothing. 
she knew even then that there was an undertone of melody in her heart the refrain of which was he knows he will not let this crush me he cares the mother had understood it better she had shed tears of joy when the sweet letter came which told of her daughter's new friend the mother had walked alone in her christian life ever since the father went away she had drawn nearer to christ during these years of loneliness and by so much more had she longed for and waited for her daughter it seemed wonderful to her that born of this trouble which had shadowed her like a pall had been this great new joy she began to have a dim notion of the meaning of the all things working together End of chapter twenty four